0: Welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Hi Marjorie. Hey Claire, how are you
1: doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing really well. I want to tell you now because you haven't seen me in a few days that I'm on a health kick. And I'm feeling great. I hesitate to ask what your health kick involves. Well, it involves not eating cake for several days. For breakfast. Birthday season's over for us. So, you know, I've eaten as much cake as I possibly could eat in a week. And okay, it might not be a health kick. It might just be having, being sick of cake. But I think that counts, doesn't it?
0: Definitely a little step in the right direction. Is that not what the Scottish Health Improve Your Life website says? A little step in the right direction. So there you go.
1: (laughs) Well, I've taken up more running because I thought I probably needed it to offset the cake. But I'm just thinking now, maybe I'll just replace cake with bread. So last night, I baked my first lockdown sourdough. I know I can hear everybody out there groaning. And this morning for breakfast, rather than cake, I ate a quarter of a double loaf of sourdough. Excellent work. (laughs) Do you think that counts as a health kick? Definitely. (laughs) So on to the materials for today Um, we are carrying on with our amazing commissioned work today it's a short story by russell jones called gazing and we've paired it with a poem by john burnside called unwittingly which we're going to start with just for a little change okay here goes unwittingly i've visited the place where thought begins pear trees suspended in sunlight narrow shops alleys to nothing but nettles and broken wars. And though it might look different to you, a seaside town with steep roofs, the color of oysters, the corner of some junkyard with its glint of coming rain. Though someone else again would recognize the warm barn, the smell of milk, the wintered cattle shifting in the dark. It's always the same lit space, the one good measure Sometimes you'll wake in a chair as the light is fading or stop on the way to work as a current of starlings turns on itself and settles above the green. And because what we learn in the dark remains all our lives, a noise like the sea displacing the day's pale knowledge, you'll come to yourself in a glimmer of rainfall or frost, the burnt smell of autumn, a meeting of parallel lines, and know you were someone else for the longest time, pretending you knew where you were, like a diffident tourist, lost on the one main square and afraid to inquire. Hands up, you chose this poem, but it's one of my favourites.
0: So I love this poem too, but I find it quite hard to come to for the first time. There's a lot of points in it where I go, wait a minute, what's that? I need to read that again.
1: I think if we were reading it in a group or if you're listening to it and have access to the internet, it's the kind of moment where we would go back and read it again, wouldn't we? Just to give everybody a chance to pick up different things and kind of sort through things. That idea of where thought begins is a different place for everyone. And for me, it feels like it's a sense of where home, what some place that feels like home where you are your true self which could be a seaside town or it could be a barn or, you know, it could be a corner of a junkyard. It doesn't really matter. That's what I think he's saying. But I don't know what you to that.
0: Ah, so for me, the place where thought begins is somewhere that, is totally different from home or somewhere that's familiar. For me, when you're somewhere familiar, it's hard to have new thoughts. You have to be somewhere new to let the thoughts happen in a way because you've got so many preconceived memories and ideas and layers and experiences of home that it's hard then to have thought. I really
1: like that idea more than that there's some image of some place that you carry with you that's home, which I think those of us who've moved a lot find difficult or feel we've missed out on. Because when I was, I think what sunk that for me is the idea of a warm barn and the smell of milk. For me, that seems like it would be a comforting thing for only those who had known it in childhood. But maybe you're right. Maybe that's the moment where you realize you know, that's something or whatever it is, that change.
0: So for me, that's a holiday or a new experience or I guess because home for me is not a warm barn and a smell of milk. But I could imagine what that might be like. I could imagine being on holiday and smelling milk. In a warm barn, be you know visiting a farm, or you know having a holiday house in a farm, and then that's for me new. Okay, so the reason
1: I think I looking further, the reason I thought that is because that line, because what we learn in the dark remains all our lives. But I guess you know both readings are right because what happens to for me at the end of the poem is that you come to yourself and realize you've been someone else for a long time. So for me, it's the person remembering, kind of touching back to that initial feeling of home or who they are in that place. Your reading is just as valid that you suddenly realise something about yourself.
0: That sense of, do you ever really know yourself? Even looking back at myself at 18 is different from what I was at 18. I think it's hard to look back and think about pretending you knew where you were. Like for me, there's a bit of never really knowing where you were because when I look back now and think about where I was then, my memory is a bit clouded by what I'm doing now.
1: And I guess my perspective on that is shaded by the fact that I live somewhere so different that, you know, not so much has changed for me. You know, I was thinking, for example, when I was 18 or 20, even in my first couple of years at university, I was at university a couple of hours away, two and a half hours away by car and I did have a little car and every once in a while I would get in the car and I think I might have said this in an earlier podcast, I would get in the car and just go home, just to have that kind of re-anchor and then I would feel better and there's part of me that is sad that that's not possible you know, still in my late 40s that that's not possible, but I guess you know, even, I know that's not necessarily possible for you, you can go to Carnoustie but you're not going back into your family home either
0: No and my mum's not there, you know, so going back for me to Carnoustie is always slightly tinged with it normal being the same as it was. That's not to say I don't enjoy it and I don't have a nice time and I don't enjoy catching up with people and spend time with my dad but I'm not going back to the same house I grew up in and I'm not going back to the same people in it so it almost feels like a new place
1: and I guess those of us who do move around so much and don't have the capacity for that kind of return visit kind of glorify it for other people if you know what I mean and it's it's useful to be reminded that everybody has a different experience when like even if they are able to go back it's not the same you know it never is the same that's a useful reminder for people like me who think other people are have this thing that some of us can't attain. But then how do you, going back to John's poem, how do you take the end of the poem? You know, you know, suddenly you know that you were someone else for the longest time, pretending you knew where you were. Is that a moment of epiphany for you?
0: I don't feel that bit of the poem. I don't recognise that bit of the poem. When I read it, I think that's someone else's words and someone else's experience. In a deep contrast with someone else would recognise the warm bar, the smell of milk. I have a sense of what he's getting at. Sometimes you'll wake in a chair as the light is fading or stop on the way to work. All those sort of things I recognise. But when I get to that bit at the end, I think, I'm not sure what you're talking about there. You know you were someone else for the longest time pretending you knew where you were like a diffident tourist. For me, that's just a sense of do we ever really know who we are?
1: well maybe that for both of us we had careers and one thing and now we're obviously doing something else you know which for me fits a lot better with who I am and what I want to be doing and where I want to be in life you know so part of me can take that and just look at say, times that I was I mean I loved living in New York but maybe the work wasn't necessarily about who I was so there are moments where you feel almost like an imposter it's not the same as writers calling themselves imposters and feeling that they're not capable it's more just thinking this doesn't suit me or it doesn't fit in with who I really am
0: I still feel that about certain things that happen. I mean, I still can't quite believe I managed to keep three children relatively safe for a period of time. I sometimes feel that being a parent has a bit of imposter syndrome about it. And sometimes when I have to stand up and speak or address a group of people in a sort of more formal setting, I do feel a little bit like, you know, putting on my smart clothes and a bit of lipstick and going out there and uh, being brave. So I think there's still elements of my life, even though I'm not doing that legal career that I was doing. I think it's interesting, though, when you meet someone who only knew you as that now and how they react to you and treat you and, you know, particularly people maybe who you were more senior to or I mean it's
1: funny even with open book because we meet so many people now who see us as you know the the sort of founders of open book and then if I meet someone with my children they kind of just can't even though no matter how many times you say in my case I've got four children when you meet someone on the street with your four children they think oh right what you know because they're used to you doing something completely different but I was thinking that same thing you know quite often when you hit a certain stage with your children people say lots of women say you know, start to become yourself again and I don't really like that language particularly because it makes you sound like you weren't really yourself when you were looking after small children. But there's no doubt in my mind, looking back, it's a change and it's a shift in terms of what you can manage and what your priorities are and things. So, you know, you could apply this to that kind of idea that you kind of come back into your yourself in some way when the children grow older and need you less.
0: And I think it's about as well, filling a bit more space for yourself. I've noticed in the last little while that my oldest, who's nearly 17, will now say, things like how was your day mom He now begins to see me as a separate person, if that makes sense, which I think as younger children, they almost see you as an extension of them, especially when they're tiny and they're hanging off you. You're physically carrying them around on your leg, you know, as they grip onto you. And I think that that sort of shift from being perceived by your own family as a separate person allows you just a little space to expand into.
1: I remember someone saying to me when I had really little children, and I took great offense to it, that you don't really become yourself, you don't go back to being yourself until your youngest is five, but actually when you hit five, I remember then thinking back to that comment and thinking, now I do feel much more myself now. Partly because of that, I think as you say, that's separating and kind of coming back into yourself and having that space to remember what it is you like to eat and what it is you might do with three minutes peace, apart from using Lulu on your own or whatever it is.
0: And do you think that's what Burnside's is getting at in the second last stanza where he says displacing the day's pale knowledge you'll come to yourself in a glimmer of rainfall or frost, the burn- smell of autumn, a meeting of parallel lines. Is that the sort of just having the time and space to acknowledge that you're in a place and to notice things?
1: Again, it's for me, this poem is about remembering who's at your core, where you come from, whether that's a place or a person. or And it puts me in mind of a Montale poem called The Lemon Trees, which is about poetry, but it's also about looking through a gate and seeing an orchard of lemon trees and remembering playing in them as a boy. And I think in the poem, it's a kind of a poverty-stricken boy and just loving the lemons and the smell of lemons, and it takes him straight back to that childhood. And in fact, the language is so similar in the beginning that it made me immediately wonder if John Burnside had Montale in mind. But is that kind of something flips you back into where you come from or who you really were. So for me, it's not an epiphany. It's about remembering rather than a kind of uncovering of who, what was there already, if that makes sense. Whereas for you, it sounds like it's an uncovering of something you didn't know. Maybe
0: for you, you, you read it. I think looking back to the past where I read it as happening to me now in the present,
1: which is a really nice difference. And maybe that's the way that we both look at things generally. So we move to the story and see if it connects? <laughs> it's nice to start with a poem, um, just for a change, really.
0: It makes the story all the more intriguing, I think.
1: Will you get us started on the story?
0: Gazing. Young Davy watches the skies at night, his eyes bright as distant suns. The video box tells him there are other lives out there, other worlds waiting for him. He thinks he hears voices, He thinks there are fingertips tapping on his window at night. He thinks there are untold stories. So he builds a rocket ship from the broken boxes his mum takes from work and sets the destination to far, far away. We watch from uncertain times, in all the years that follow, even as he grows tall and moves to a space of his own. Even when he says goodbye to his biscuit-sweet, frail mum and scatters her to the stars, Davy never makes it much further than the city borders. A holiday here and there, of course, trips out for work when required. But with her gone, he is alone. Then he meets Anne at a house party, all hazy eyes and bitten lips and gentle fingertips. Anne laughs at her own jokes. She twiddles her hair and says wonderful things that Davy doesn't expect about footsteps on the moon. She smiles at Davy and the planets shift. Smoke, Davy asks her, when he's courageous enough. Outside, the stars reflect in her eyes. Love at first sight is a cliché, but to Davy it feels true. Truer than so many things he's told are real. Davy says he wants to build a ship that flies through the dark oceans of space. He feels stupid and smitten. Anne says she wants to lay out on the grass and stare up at the sky. She is drunk and cookie sweet. Davy is drunk and nervous. And so, besotted, Davy asks for her number. Davy eyes the phone for days, eager but unable to call. He thinks of his old mum, if she was with him. She'd likely put the receiver in his hand and press the right numbers, forcing him into action. Eventually, Davy calls Anne, with the script rehearsed. She says yes and wonders what took him so long. He wishes he hadn't wasted so much time and nerves. Davy buys a picnic blanket and packs a hot flask to keep them warm. They meet on the hillside when Jupiter is due to show its face. They chat and drink as though they're old friends and wait for the night to fall. Anne tells Davy about the constellations, how ancient people made stories about the stars, how they lived and sailed by them. Their stories burn and live up there, Anne says, they'll never be forgotten. Let's make our own, Davy says, and that's what they do. Each week they meet on their hillside and tell tales of children searching for a home in space. Star-bound lovers, swans and giants and heroes, little girls who run from home and poor little boys who lose their mothers but grow wings and fly high to catch stars. They spend many moons intoxicated by each other. Eventually, Davy catches a star for Anne. He puts it in a box. Yes, Anne says, of course. Davy feels like a rocket, all fire and metal bursting through the stratosphere. Things change. The years fly. New homes rise on alien landscapes. They kiss and make strange little creatures watching them grow. Wrapped in protective gear, their troop ventures into the vast night in unknown directions. For unknown is best. They tell jokes and songs make stories of other lives and other worlds that may be waiting for them. Davy puts on voices to make the little ones giggle. Brrr, stritter, stritter hall. In that simplicity, Davy is content. Okay, I have an initial question.
1: Who's the we? There's one we in the beginning of this poem. We watch from uncertain times. Before we even get to Davy or Anne, I'm curious who the we is.
0: Part of me wants to say it's an alien observing us from outer space, but I suspect not.
1: You want to think that, but there's nothing in the story that makes you think that.
0: And if it wasn't for the fact that they are looking at the stars and there's references to constellations, that thought wouldn't have popped into my head.
1: Sounds like the voice of a narrator in some way, or a parent. Someone's watching Davy not make it further than the city borders. The person's watching his mum go, so it's not his mum either. Yeah, so it does give you already for that to, for that to happen so early in the story. For me, it gives you a sense of watching, you know, that there's someone else watching what's happening, not in control, but observing.
0: But it seems to me that it's a kind watcher. It's not someone who's intervening massively, but it feels to me it's not, I don't feel any sense of alarm or discomfort that, that he's being watched.
1: And what do we make of Davy?
0: I think he's a sweet wee boy <laughs> <laughs> I recognise a lot of the things that are um, mentioned in a teenage boy
1: I'm a little worried about him having small creatures but I love the way the whole of the story seems to be filled so far is filtered through the stars You know that even the star is in the box when he asks her presumably asks her to marry him and,
0: and I love the description of him feeling like a rocket bursting through the stratosphere when she says yes of course and there's something so nice about the fact she says of course, it seems so Oh, so much a better answer than just yes
1: Although I'm not sure about her I feel like we don't get so much about her or from her in some way I don't feel like I know her very much except that she kind of tells him off for not calling faster and she seems to be the one that knows about the stars and etc you know what I mean like she's the one that's in the know he's got, he's got all imagination and she's got the this is how people dealt with the stars in the past
0: I think she's quite endearing I like the description of her at the party all hazy eyes and bitten lips and laughs at her own jokes and I like that she says wonderful things that he doesn't expect
1: Um, I love the description of her as cookie sweet you get a kind of real sense of what she's like and that for me that conjures a perfect image of what kind of person she is so that bit of writing jumps out at me it's not necessarily like ooh that's great writing but it is great writing in the sense that it makes me feel like I know her and they move so quickly you know between things which is really really lovely we move within years really quickly that we kind of feel like we're I don't know getting carried along with them I don't know if you feel that
0: Yeah, there's a lot of language that picks up on that so when Jupiter's showing its face that for me gives a sense of time and perspective and movement and then they talk about sailing, the language is very much moving language, which I think gives us that sense of flow that you feel in the writing.
1: And the idea of new homes on alien landscapes is a lovely way to describe Changing, you know, moving flats or moving, you know, as a young couple, rather than being like they shunted their boxes from one place to another. It all seems to be filtered through this idea of the sky and the idea of the other in some way, the unknown, the other, which would be a lovely way to be. That there's so much more out there that we don't know, if you know what I mean, rather than being tied down to the things that we can see and touch and, and understand, if that makes sense. I mean, I think some other people might find that quite a scary thought, but I think, that's, I think that's quite a positive thing.
0: And there's a real sense of positivity about change. That sentence, unknown is best. It feels a really positive statement in the story.
1: It makes me think of Edwin Morgan's At AD, Aidy, which I think that line will have been taken from, and is uh, the idea that it, it fits with me, for me, with the story. This idea that the, the whole breadth of our understanding is only one small part. And so, that idea that there's a whole universe out there that we don't understand, and therefore we have to kind of let down our guard about being in control. You know, I think we, have, we, we fool ourselves that we're kind of in control and can manage things because we do so often. But when someone gets ill, for example, or something bad happens that we didn't anticipate, or you know, a pandemic happens, for example, that no one in the world anticipated, we suddenly realize how very little control we actually have on the big things. And maybe if we lived with that a little bit more, which this couple seems to manage to imbue their whole life with that idea, the world would be, we'd be freer in some ways.
0: And maybe that's why we have the we that you mentioned at the start to give us that sense of not always being totally in control and an element of the unknown being out there floating over us.
1: Because it does say uncertain times. So it does, you know, we watch from uncertain times. So already it's It's sort of dropping the, not even a hint, dropping the idea that things are uncertain, that we don't know, we're not in control really early on. So yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about that. Shall we finish it off?
0: Yeah, I want to find out what happens.
1: Mm, Because we've left Davy being content, haven't we? He doesn't want change. He doesn't expect it. He cannot imagine life without Anne, but he doesn't have a choice. She's gone quicker than he'd found her. Light speed, his universe cannot expand anymore, so it collapses. Their kids grow, they have wings, but they are quiet without their mother's songs. They migrate far, far away, build their own nests, fill them with hatchlings. Davy has seen the pictures, he's framed them. They look happy but unreal. Old Davy has shrunk under the weight of his years, crushed by his own gravity. He slumps in his chair, the blinds closed over his windows. He thinks he can hear lovers kiss and children sing outside, so he turns on the video box, tunes it to snowy static, and raises the volume, sinking into the pit of its noise. Davy, we whisper, tapping his window. Davy fiddles with his hearing aid. He pours himself a drink, watches the once white walls. Davy, we say louder this time, so he cannot ignore us. It's been so long. Davy is stubborn. He drowns our voices with another drink, but we are persistent too. We tap again, louder and louder, until the pain almost breaks. Davy is afraid. He wants to call for help. He wants us to stop. But a particle of young Davy sleeps inside him, tucked up and woozy, but still intrepid. He opens the blinds. Old Davy cries when he sees our wings and white light. He races to the hill as quick as his old legs would take him, and he lies on the grass. Even in his old and faded eyes, the stars are polished gems. He remembers spaceships made from broken boxes. He remembers Anne's hair, her lips, and laugh. He wraps himself around his kids, and they sing together. Davy recites the stories he told. He will make new stories, he tells himself. He feels himself rise, rise, rise into the vast unknown. Unknown is best. Wow, that
0: changed. Completely flipped, isn't it?
1: I suppose, you know, the beginning of the story took us from a nervous Davy to a Davy partnered with Anne and with children and all the rest of it quite quickly within a couple of short paragraphs. What do we think happened to Anne?
0: in terms of whether she left him or whether that she died?
1: I'd like to think, I mean, it sounds terrible, but I'd like to think she died because I'd yeah. like to think a mum would, would leave her children without seeing them. The line, the kids grow and they have wings, but they're quite without her. It makes me think she's passed away rather than just left.
0: And there's something I think if he scatters his mum to the stars and looks in the stars to find her, if she has passed away, then maybe that's more comforting for Davy.
1: Although he's not looking at the stars anymore, though, is he? He doesn't seem to have comfort from the stars, does he?
0: Old Davy is, though.
1: Yeah, I suppose the one that's in his.
0: Old Davy has shrunk under the weight of his years. I wonder if there's a sort of time frame that passes quickly between Davy with the children who are growing, where maybe I'd like to think he is still looking at the stars.
1: So is old Davy in this story actually young Davy? Because after the first mention of Old Davy, we get the stubborn Davy, who isn't called Old Davy. Davy's stubborn, Davy's afraid. And then we get Old Davy back again when Russell writes, Old Davy cries when he sees our wings in white light. So I took Old Davy to be young Davy, really.
0: I didn't read it like that, but I can see how that could be the case.
1: Because in the story it flips, you know, it's Old Davy, then Davy, Davy. Seems the stubborn one who's trying to ignore whoever the we is in the story. And then let's talk about we. Who's we? Because they really come back.
0: I think there's still a possibility that my alien (laughs) theory could hold true.
1: Yeah, it does feel like that. It does feel very kind of angelic, doesn't it? And then he's suddenly remembering spaceships. Although the spaceship, the memory of spaceships makes me think he's looking at something that's on the hill. What confused me is him wrapping himself around his kids and them singing together. Because we know the kids live somewhere far, far away, don't we?
0: And I wonder if that far, far away is the same far, far away that he went in his rocket at the beginning. But I wonder if it's just his memory of his kids that he's wrapping himself around or wrapping himself in memories. And we get a reference to singing again. It feels like singing and music fits in with that idea of the angels, but also it takes us back to Anne, who he says they're quiet without their mother's song. So it makes me think that their house was a house that was full of music.
1: And so when it, when the music comes back, she's somehow back. And it does feel like it's a new chapter because at the end of this story, Davy's reciting the stories, and he's he knows he's going to make new stories. So it's not an end in the way that we would think of an end of a life. It's the beginning of something new, isn't it?
0: And back to the idea unknown is best.
1: Which he he has to remind himself, doesn't he? Because when he's sitting in that room, putting on the white noise, it sounds like he doesn't want to know about the unknown. He's shutting down. So this feels like the old Davy back again, saying, yes, unknown is best. In a kind of nice way. But I don't think he's he's passed away at the end. Well, I don't know what has happened to him, but I don't want to think he has. I think he's gone somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's had a epiphany, I think it's a word we've used before today, but, you know, epiphany and a, and a vision or a, a opening up that's sort of given him a second chance almost. A chance still to have a life without Anne in it, that is not the life of sitting, turning up the white noise to drown out people having fun outside. Well,
1: it makes me think of that Elliot line with every end is a beginning and every beginning is an end, or maybe it's the way around every beginning is an end and every end is a beginning. The idea that every time something comes to an end, it's an opportunity if you choose to take it. But it sounds like he spent years not taking it because it sounds like he's lost Dan when the children were still at home. So he has spent years sort of hunkering down, refusing to take that opportunity.
0: I think for me, when the first time I read this story through, it felt quite sad in the second half, but I think coming back to it today, it feels quite positive at the end.
1: It also makes me think of a family friend who lost his spouse, in, I think, in his early 70s, but lived to be 99. And, you know, the family lore about him is that he, having never done any domestic thing at all, eventually just thought, right, I've got to teach myself to cook, you know, kind of pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and got on with things. And the family always marveled that he would have people around for dinner and do all these sorts of things, which he'd never done in, in what we think of as an ordinary lifetime. But he had just decided You know, if he was going to live, he might as well live. Which seems like that's what Davy is kind of doing. Unknown is best. Just got to get on with
0: it. That's certainly what I want for (laughs) (laughs) Davy.
1: We want him to be brave, you know, get out there and get on with things. That's easy to say when we are not in his position. But it does sound like he's had years of not opening the blinds.
0: Yeah, and it feels hopeful. It feels like it's not unrealistic to wish that for him. It feels like it's a possibility.
1: Unknown as best could be our motto for a while, especially in these sort of strange times. We feel we don't have very much certainty. It's quite a nice line, isn't it? I'm sure Russell's lifted it from Eddie Morgan. Who's had his, in his centenary year, because I know that Russell is a fan of his work. So. that's not lost on me or him I'm sure
0: oh well I really enjoyed that story today the commissions have been such a joy you know something's really different every week for us to get our teeth into and talk about and just to have lots of different voices and different ideas to talk and think about it's just been great it's a lovely diversity of voices and
1: even things like this about the stars and possibly aliens or whatever is not necessarily something I would naturally read a lot of but I've really enjoyed delving into it and I love the way Russell tackled it allowing us to disagree and to have discussions around the big holes so that we as readers get to engage too and uh, i think we've found that so far with all the pieces so yeah they've been a real joy thanks to those who have contributed we're really grateful
0: you can also read them in their entirety they're all going up onto our website which is openbookreading.com so if there's any of them that you want to read for yourself or go back and revisit you'll find them there sometimes it's nice to go back and reread something that you've had read to you. Definitely, and the poems will be up too on the website, so you can find all of it there.
1: Thanks so much for having us in your ears this week. We look forward to having you with us again very soon.